Praise the Lord, church. You guys can be seated. My apologies for not being out here. Y'all duped me. Wasn't supposed to come up for a few minutes. I must insist that we make announcements longer. Amen? <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody. I am very happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's good to be at church on Sunday. Um, it's good to see all of your beautifully, uh, perfectly queefed and uh, bright and shiny faces. You all look so wonderful. I want to come around and give every one of you all a high five and just let you know that I love you. Since he's the only one that put his hand up, the rest of you guys are late. Thank you, Jonas. My man is on point right here. I'll give you that five spot later. How you guys feeling? You guys feeling good this morning? Are you guys ready for the word? Yes. Just want to uh, take a moment and uh, give you greetings for those of us who may not have um, been here very often. Uh, our pastor is out today. He's celebrating uh, Pastor Gwen's birthday. So they're out and about, probably at a theme park on a very tall roller coaster ride. No, just joking. Um, probably at a dinner and a show, most likely. And uh, so, of course, they want to be here, but, you know, you got to celebrate your wife's birthday, right? Men, take notes. You got to take your wife out for her birthday. Make somebody feel special. Um, who came on Friday night? All right, we had a few people here. Did you guys enjoy that movie? Yeah? So, if you weren't here, just so you know, on Friday nights for the month of August, did somebody announce this already? Today? Oh, Minister Helen. So how come you didn't take longer? No, joking. Just joking. Just kidding. You all got to be here next Friday. Um, there's going to be somebody covered from head to toe in toilet paper. I don't know if you mentioned that. Oh, good. I get to talk about it. We're going to have some games, and uh, we're actually going to have a bit of a game show here. And we're act one, of the, one of the game shows that we're going to take part in, it's going to be like a Nickelodeon type of thing, where we're going to have a uh, marshmallow cheek stuffing contest. Anybody here like marshmallows? Okay. The rest of you who are lying, you can come to the altar and repent. And uh, <clears throat> we're also going to have <clears throat> a mummy creating contest where we're going to have our very own brother, David Mian. <laughs> no, you weren't, you weren't, you didn't volunteer. You, you were vol voluntold. And uh, if Angel doesn't show up, we'll have, we'll have Jonas be the other mummy. We need big guys. So um, let's get down to business. Amen? You guys ready for some word? If you would please stand to your feet. My brother Julio, can you get the book of Romans, chapter 1, up on the screen? If you would be so kind. Hallelujah. I'll be reading out of New King James this morning. And believe it or not, you guys are going to be floored. You guys are going to be blown away. In fact, I've been... I've instructed the ushers to have some smelling salts available for those of you who will pass out when I read from the Amplified Version. 
So, brother, you have those handy, right, in your pocket? Ready to wake them up? <clears throat> Man, I'm already losing my voice. Not going to read the whole thing. Say thank you. Just going to read verse... Sixteen and seventeen. Verses sixteen and seventeen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your word today. I pray that as I read it, that you would open our ears, that you would peel the scales from our eyes, that you would unharden our hearts, that we might hear your voice through your word today. Father, your word is a living word. We believe that it breathes life into the hearer. So, Father God, as we talk about it, as we discuss it today, as we lift it up in this place, I pray that you would anoint it and anoint us to receive it, that we might be changed by it, that we might live and walk in the life that you have created us for through the revelation of your precious, precious word. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Can I get an amen for the word of God? Feel free to have a seat. Praise the living God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The church in Rome, <clears throat> wow, was started by the converts who had heard the Apostle Peter preach on the day of Pentecost. There was the infilling of the Holy Ghost for the very first time on the day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish feast day. And some of the people that heard Peter preach the very first time, he said, men and brethren, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter responded, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And you shall be saved. And, and the promises unto you and to your children, to your children's children, and as many as the Lord thy God shall call. So this is a generational blessing as, as far as, and we continue to live out, to flesh out the book of Acts, even till this day. The end of the book of Acts is an open book. So we have not seen the end of the church age. All right? So understand that everything that we see in the book of Acts continues forward till this day. Somebody say amen. So when you open that book and you read and you read about what Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Silas did, please understand that it is God's every intention that we continue to live and thrive in that way. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Um, at this point, Paul writes this letter and my brother, good to see you, Pastor. He's writing this letter and he's describing how much how very much he wants to come visit the Roman church. Um, by the way, we should be encouraged that the church um, that thrived in that day, that was doing well. In fact, Paul says, um, I am delighted to write to you because you are 
world-renowned. Everybody in the world is talking about the church in Rome, right? And the church wasn't even started by an apostle. Somebody say, oh, snap, right? I thought in the book of Acts, every church was started by an apostle. No, it wasn't. It was actually just converts that heard Peter preach on that day of Pentecost. So what does that mean for us? It means you don't have to be a big, highfalutin apostle to be able to do the work of the Lord, to thrive in the middle of Rome, a place where there was a lot of craziness going on. At this time that Paul writes it, the Roman church was thriving. The, the major persecution had not started yet. Right? So we know that the Christians in Rome in that day were persecuted by the Emperor Nero. Right? And so there was this huge fire that engulfed the city of Rome, and it was Nero's opportunity to use the Christians as a scapegoat. And so we know that history shows us that the Christians were used to light the city streets. Um, there are children in the house. Now, I won't say that part. But they released them into the Colosseum, and, and there were lions there, and you can figure that out. The, tree, the Christians were persecuted. They were slaughtered, literally. Um, and this was before that. After making an inspiring statement about, this un, of a, about his unwavering commitment to and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his discourse quickly turns to an urgent warning regarding God's wrath on the unrighteous Gentiles or heathen. Now, just a, a quick little side note. If you don't know what the difference is between a Gentile and a Jew is, I don't think anybody here was born a Jew, right? If you're not Jewish, you're, you're kind of the other category, right? So if you were filling out kind of a, uh, a form, one of those uh, census form of that day, be Jews and other, and we'd be other. We'd be the Gentiles. We'd be considered the heathen according to the Jews. Now, I know it sounds bad, but in that day, they simply were referred to as that because uh, they were not following the ways and the edicts of Almighty God, the one that we know as the true God today. Somebody say amen. amen. So don't go and tell somebody, my brother called me a heathen. That's out of context. So the truth is, is that we are Gentiles. And so Paul begins to describe some of what the Gentiles were doing. And so Paul, also being a Roman citizen, writing to the Roman church, I believe he's describing a lot of his experience in Rome in that day, the things that he saw being a very high-ranking Jew. Um, he was a citizen, so that means, I guess, he was either born there or went there and became a citizen. But in either case, he definitely was there and saw what was going on. And as he was addressing the people of that region, he described some of the things that he saw as this. I'm just going to read, starting at verse 18, very quickly. So he starts off by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let me just start by saying, if you have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word gospel simply means good news. Everybody say good news. It is the idea, it is the, the, the historical term for the fact that Jesus allowed himself to be crucified, a completely righteous man who was literally God manifested in the flesh 
on earth, who from the day of birth was completely righteous, knew absolutely no sin. And because he was completely righteous, it then his, his uh, sacrifice gives us the opportunity to take his gift of righteousness and apply it to our lives through repentance, which means to turn away from the, our, our old life and turn towards God. Give up the stuff that we used to do and follow after Christ. And so the gospel also says that he rose again from the dead the third day. By the way, not something that any other God on the planet ever could declare that they did. And it's not proven in history. But Jesus rose from the grave and there were many witnesses. Somebody say amen. So the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God into salvation. He continues to describe some of the things that he saw the Gentiles doing, the behaviors that he watched. Um, And so we as a Gentile church, I thought it'd be interesting to just read some of this and figure out where they messed up so that we can keep from messing up in the same way. Somebody say amen. Amen. Isn't it good to read an example? Isn't it good to understand that history repeats itself? Isn't it good to know that the nature of mankind really throughout history has not changed? All of the same vices, all of the same things that we did thousands of years ago, we do in grand fashion today. I mean, we have, we have technology, and we have TVs, and we have iPads, we have cell phones, we have all of these things that are distractions, but ultimately we have the same likes and dislikes. Ultimately, we love to be entertained, It's all the same stuff over and over. Somebody say amen. Amen. He says, starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Everybody say clearly seen. Um, Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, somebody say they knew God. Somebody say they knew God. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts. And the, the King James Version says, vile imaginations. They were vile in their imaginations. Um, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like, incorrupt, like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Hallelujah. So one of the first things we read, verse 21 says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, or the Amplified Version says, did not honor him as God, neither were thankful. Here was the first place, the first thing that Paul mentions, which is what really tripped them up. The first thing we want to look at is being thankful or gratefulness. And honoring God. Now, uh, one of the things we need to think about is 
that they knew God. Somebody say they knew God. Well, if they're Gentiles and they didn't follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the beginning, if they weren't taught by the Jews, how would they know God? How could they understand or fathom who God really was if they didn't have the law of Moses, if they didn't have the, uh, the, the patriarchs and the matriarchs, if they didn't have the prophets, the major and minor? How would they know God? The scripture says, because that, in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it to them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without what? Excuse. Without excuse. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. If you want to be able to see and understand who God is, step outside and look around. Matter of fact, each and every day there are scientists finding new things about God, finding literally the, not literally, but finding the fingerprint of God on all of creation. One of the latest things that I had heard was that, you know the mathematical equation pi? I don't remember what the number was. Any, what was it? 3.14. Thank you so much. I need you in my math class to sit next to me right here. 3.14. It's a mathematical equation that somebody at some point, I guess, discovered. He didn't create it. He discovered that it was a number that could be applied to so many things. They're finding now that pi is even found in flowers and in plants, literally in the, in the shape of the flowers, how they grow. The mathematical, mathematical formula can be found in animals. You ever see a nautilus? You know what a nautilus is? It looks like a giant shrimp, big thing like this. It's really bizarre. It looks like an alien, right? The nautilus, each part of their shell, every increment of how it grows, comes to a perfect 3.14 sequence. But that's not just it. It's found across all of creation. Is that crazy? All of creation in itself, if you just look at it, if you take a moment and step back and look at how it's created, only an intelligent designer could have laid it out and put it all together. And so you think about it in this whole big, the big bang sham, I'm sorry, the whole big bang theory, you know, when you start to really study nature, you have to throw the big bang out because it doesn't make sense. Only intelligent design makes sense. You get the chance, there's a guy named... Um, Kenneth Ham, right? And no, it's not a joke. It's an actual guy. I'm not going to say something like he really loves bacon, but he is this guy from Australia. He's a scientist and a researcher. He, he actually works in the Creation Museum in, Wash, in uh, Seattle, Seattle, Washington. He's got a ton of videos on creation on YouTube. Nobody's writing anything down. Kenneth Ham. Check him out. H-A-M. Kentucky? The Creation Museum? I stand corrected. Forgive me. Isn't that like the same place, Kentucky, Seattle? No, of course not. But boom, where's the drummer when you need him? Hallelujah. 
For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. You ever wonder, there are a lot of people that I come across in my walk where I meet them and they don't know a lick of scripture, right? For, 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 for a long season, my mom was one of them, didn't know a lick of scripture, but she understood a whole bunch of godly principles that were right out of the scripture. Simply by experiencing life, by just kind of perusing and observing and watching human behavior and looking at nature, she understood so many things about God. And, you know, later on when I started to read the Bible, I was like, yo, my mama was right. She actually knew that. How the heck? I, know she, I know she wasn't reading the Bible. How did she know that? Because God touches people to understand him. He, it is his heart's desire that we know him. He wants us to know. He doesn't want to be a mystery. He doesn't want to be a far-reaching thing that you can never reach or touch or grab or hear. He wants to be reached, touched, grabbed, heard, understood. He doesn't want to be misunderstood. Hence, the reason he gave us his word. Somebody say amen. amen. The second, first off, they knew God. They knew God. First the trip up was they weren't thankful and they did not honor God. If you got a pen, write some stuff down because I got some stuff for you. In a, a little article here from uh, Bishop Matera, he actually wrote uh, eight grave consequences of being unthankful I thought were really good. I'm not going to read you the whole article. Probably take an hour. Look it up yourself. Charisma Magazine. Number one, when you're unthankful... We will not be able to see the divine opportunities in front of us. When we're unthankful, we can't see when God is operating in our favor, and it could be right in front of our face because we're ungrateful. Number two, we will focus on the actions of people instead of the processes of God. How many times do you hear people complaining about people in church? Come on, let's be real. You know you've heard people complaining about people. Well, that brother so-and-so, he's grumbling like nobody's business. And we focus. And so people who do that, they're not thankful. They're ungrateful sometimes. Because if they were thankful, they would thank God. First of all, man, I'm really glad that what he's doing, I'm not dealing with it. But in fact... I'm grateful, and I'm going to pray for that person that God reveals something to them that they change. Matter of fact, I might, I might even love on that brother just a little bit more so that he'll see the nature and the love of God in me rather than complain. Number three, we will worship pleasant circumstances rather than be satisfied with God alone. My precious daughter, we were, I was telling her a little bit about what I was going to talk about today. And she had said, uh, she's been ministering to her friend. Um, she has a very exotic name, Sana. Yeah, I know. I can never remember it. I suck. So she's been ministering to Sana on a regular basis. She's been talking to her. Last night we're talking about Sana, and she had mentioned how Sana at one time actually worshiped God. Her family's Muslim. She actually confessed and said that she loved Jesus and she prayed to Jesus, which in and of itself is extraordinary. 
But then my daughter tells me, you know, she stopped praying to Jesus and she traded him in for somebody named Ma'at, which is some uh, Egyptian person thingy. I'm not exactly sure. I have to Google it at some point. But she traded it in because the, re- the original reason she started praying to Jesus was because she was getting bullied at school. How many of us were bully- bullied at school? I know, you're still traumatized. You won't raise your hand. I get it. It's fine. This poor girl was being bullied at school, and for whatever reason, she didn't feel like she was getting the answers that she wanted. So she just simply traded Jesus in. Now, if she had a point of reference to compare to, she would have realized that Jesus never guaranteed that life would be peaches and cream after you accepted him here on earth. In fact, he... He described being persecuted for his name's sake, but he said that there would be reward, right? How many of us know that we serve a God that loves to reward? Remember that tree in the garden? It wasn't about having something to hold over our heads. It was about giving us an opportunity at reward. That's what it was about. Hallelujah. We become... We worship pleasant circumstances rather than be satisfied with God. Are you satisfied with God? Is Jesus enough? I don't believe you. Is Jesus enough? In my life, he is. Number four, circumstance, uh, consequence of being ungrateful, we will give place to the devil who operates in lust, greed, and pride. Lust, greed, and pride. When we're unthankful, the enemy has an in. Somebody say amen. Number five, we'll repel key people around us. Who wants to be around somebody who is unthankful, ungrateful, and oftentimes grumpy? (laughs) The last one, number five, we will repel key people in our lives. People that might have the keys to our blessing, might have the key to the next platform, might have the key to our next, uh, um, our next job, our next, you know, preaching engagement, our next opportunity to make some money. They'll be turned off. Maybe that's a better, that's a better term to use. Repel, turned off. We're in the Bronx, right? Turned off. Number six, we'll repel the presence of God within us. That's really important to understand. An unthankful heart, will cause you to literally push the Holy Spirit away. Is that something we want to do? No. We don't want to repel the presence of God. Number seven, God cannot trust us with more blessings if we are unthankful with what he has given us already. Number eight, we'll suffer continual discouragement and even depression. If you wallow, and sulk over what you don't have long enough, you'll wind up having to see a doctor who will say, I've got the right pill for you. We will, number nine, we will miss our greatest purpose in life, to love and worship God. Come on, somebody, let's be thankful. Let's be grateful. If we really understood the gift of grace that God has extended to us, 
I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to look, I'm not going to talk about you, I'm going to talk about me. I'm a dirty, rotten, scoundrel, good for nothing without Jesus. With Jesus, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a faithful provider, I'm a teacher, I'm a church musician, I'm a blesser. But without God's grace, without Jesus' gift of righteousness on the cross, I ain't nothing. Was, uh, Psalm 103, there's one, there's one verse that I like. talks about how God remembers that we are made of the dust. We're made of the dust, so technically we're all dirtbags. <laughs> Hallelujah. Maybe I went to church today. This preacher, he called me a heathen, and he called me a dirtbag. God help us. Somebody say, keep a heart of thanksgiving. Psalm 95 and 2 says, Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. A grateful heart protects us from bitterness. Somebody say amen to that. And everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 18. God is saying for everything, give thanks. He's saying in everything, give thanks. Keep a heart of thankfulness. My responsibility is in everything to keep a thankful heart because I, it will protect me from becoming bitter and losing sight of God. Hallelujah. A grateful heart opens our eyes to the answers. Grumbling will cause us to focus on what we don't have. And when we focus so much on what we don't have, we miss the very things that we do have. Recalibrate your heart. Make it a, a thankful heart. Part B of that section would be honor God. Honor God. When we recognize God and are thankful for what He has done, we naturally want to do what? Honor Him. I'm in love with my wife. Man, I appreciate her so much. She is the jelly to my peanut butter. Without which no sandwich would be good. And I appreciate her, and I love her. And so because I do, it's okay. Go ahead. You do that ah thing, it gives me points. <laughs> but because I appreciate her, because I love her, I honor her. There are times when I want to do things that I know that aren't going to make her happy, so I choose not to do it. Ooh, good example. I have a perfect example. For those of you who know me, what do I love? All of those are right. <laughs> what do you see me drinking frequently? Coffee. I love coffee. In the last, I'd say, six months to, you, to a year, I've been drinking Bustelo Black. And it has been marvelous. <laughs> Wonderful. Love it. Can't get enough of it. My wife has been having difficulty drinking coffee. I'm not going to tell you what's going on, what happens. It's none of your business. But I will say that she tried to quit drinking before. And so, you know, at that time I thought to myself, well, you know, 
It's too bad for you. <laughs> Sucks for you. I'm going to keep drinking it. So I would still make it in the house. And if, if you've ever smelled Bustelo Brewing, right? Come on. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Got some Bustelo drinkers in the house. It kind of fills the house. And she was tempted and she fell, Jack, right off the wagon. And she starts drinking it again, and of course she finds herself in the same scenario again where her stomach is just not happy with her. And so, you know, I realized that in order for it to work for her, I got to stop drinking it too. I know. I can end the whole sermon right here. We could all go home. Talk about self-sacrifice. I'm going to tell you right now, love is sacrifice. And so I honor her. You know what? I know it hurts her, so I'm going to just stop drinking because I love her and because I honor her and because I appreciate her. I say, honey, I'm not going to be the downfall, your, your next coffee downfall. So I gave it up. It's a way of honoring her, right? I could even still drink it outside of the house at the job, but I don't. Yeah, can you believe it? How can we honor God? How can we honor Him? The natural progression from thankfulness is honor, right? The, 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 dis, the outward display of a thankful heart is when you honor God, a thankful heart unto God. How can we honor Him? We honor Him with your time. How are you using the precious time you have been given to glorify God? Selah. Just think about that for a second. How do you use the precious time God has given you? You know, we've only got somewhere between 60 to 80 to 90 years to do what we can do. And time is flying by like it's on crack. We have a This life is just a vapor, the Bible says. It comes and goes so quickly. What do you want to be known for? What are you going to do with your time? Y'all didn't like that one. Honor God with your talents. Honor God with your talents. These are your God-given gifts and abilities. So if you didn't know, I played guitar and sang before I started coming to church. And so the natural progression was, I play guitar, let me give it to God, right? Whatever it is that you can do, you give it to God. If you have an administrative gift, if you have a gift for doing sound, if you have a gift for painting, if you have a gift for doing electricity, we have a brother who, does, who has, owns his own plumbing company. He's a talented guy. He worked on our plumbing. I actually reset a toilet not too long ago, something that I learned in school. It's a talent that I now possess, and I did it. So, yeah, I can change out a toilet. Give me a call. No, just joking. (laughs) Honor God with your temple. Somebody say, my body is the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18 through 20 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. 
all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You're a grown person. You can do whatever you want. You have the power of choice to do whatever you want. Consider everything you do in the light of God's word. Because what you want to do is honor him. Somebody say honor him. Honor Honor God with your treasure. This means your finances. Uh Uh-oh. As Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Honor God with your heart. There are many Bible verses that encourage us to make God number one in our heart. Isaiah 29 says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed me, have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. First of all, we need to be careful to make sure that what we say is in alignment with what we do when it comes to our relationship with God. I'm going to repeat that. We need to make sure that what we say is in alignment, in perfect alignment with what we do. Tap your neighbor and say, he's talking to me. Hallelujah. And I assure you, I'm talking to me too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Where was the next place that they messed up? Verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. Right? Second part of that says, But became vain in their imaginations. New King James says, Became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish heart was darkened. These, these people that Paul is talking about that rebelled against God, that knew God. So knew means cognitive. It's in their mind. They understand who and what God is. They knew God, but became vain or futile in their imaginations. We do realize, of course, that this is the center of all thought. This makes the legs and the hands move. This makes the hand put the ice cream to the mouth, the bustello to the lip. This this is the control center right here. I'm going to read you something. 2 Corinthians 10.4. I'm sorry, starting at verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but, what's that word? Mighty in God. For pulling down what? Strongholds. Casting down what? Arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the what? The knowledge of God. In, 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 a, in a person's life, there's something called a thought life, right? Your mind, you may be sitting still all day, right? I'm a doorman, so I know sitting still. I know it well. But my mind is going. 
going, 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 going all day long. And I'm sitting there and I'm sneaking the paper in real quick to see if I can read to figure out what's going on during the day. Or if I pull out my phone to check out a scripture or check out a guitar in Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving myself up. Or if I'm praying, I have very long periods of time where I'm just sitting. Everybody in my building is retired. Not too many people go in and out. Sometimes I have like a whole hour, hour and a half before anybody comes in and out. And it's very difficult not to... Man, it's hard. But the mind is going. going, go, And your thought life predicts what you're going to do. Your thought life predicts all of, informs all of your interactions. You're thinking about what you want to say to this person and whether or not you're going to say it. You're thinking of the consequences of what you will say, how it will weigh against your relationship. There are, sometimes, you can allow strongholds to be built in your mind. Uh, and I actually had talked about this in a Friday Night Live. And so... You know, I, I had checked out this guy named Bill Johnson, and he has his amazing teachings on the battle of the mind. And so one of the ways he describes it is the idea of a stronghold. A stronghold is a fortress or a fortified castle layered with giant stones that are able to take the blast of a cannon and still remain standing. A stronghold is a place where somebody takes shelter and is safe, Right? They're able to hide and stay safe from the enemy. The human mind, since it's going all day, Bill Johnson says that it, it actually does something in the atmosphere and can actually attract the demonic by what you're thinking. Somebody say, oh, snap. The human mind because of what you're thinking can create something. I don't know what it is. I don't know how I would describe it, but it creates something in the atmosphere that can attract the demonic. Not that the demons will come and take over your mind and make you do whatever, whatever they want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that your thought life, if it's uh, creating an atmosphere of death and decay, it can attract a demonic entity to come in and continue to push little things in there and continue to um, influence your thought life and, and eventually create a stronghold. That sounds crazy, I know. One of the things that he says is that, you know, um, Satan is called Lord of the Flies, right? Beelzebub. What are flies attracted to? Death and decay. There's a, there's a fragrance, there's a smell, there's something that gets released in the atmosphere that can attract unwanted thoughts on top of yours. So how do you defeat that? Change the conversation in your head. Just turn it around. Reject what doesn't belong there. You don't have to continue to think it. You can literally say, that thought is not mine. It's stupid. It doesn't belong to me. In fact, what I want to think about is God... God's goodness in, in my life and what I can do for him to glorify him, honor him. Somebody say, protect your thought life. Protect your thought life. 
Verse 5, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And so where does the attack take place? It takes place against what you know about God. And so we find that in the Gentiles that Paul is talking about. They knew God. That's what the scripture says. It was completely evident. His power, his creation, even the eternal Godhead is understood by mankind because simply he's revealed it to them. He's made it plain. And so they are without excuse, the scripture says. And so what does the enemy do? He attacks what you know about God. And the only way to refute that, the only way to come against it, is to change the conversation in your head. rest of the verse says, became futile in their thoughts and their foolish heart was darkened. What does the heart represent? Our emotions. And what do our emotions control? The will. So the mind leads the way and the heart and the body follows. And the scripture gives us a perfect picture of that but became vain in their imaginations, in their reasonings, in their thought life, and became futile in their, fu- in, in, their, in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Protect your heart first by protecting your mind. If your mind allows you to be led astray, will it cause your heart to want to honor God? No. Somebody said protect your mind. Last one I want to talk about real quick. I'm going to call this one stay in your lane. I'm going to call this one stay in your lane. I thought about calling it better recognize, but I thought that might be a little weird. Everybody say stay in your lane. Verse 22, Romans chapter 1. Finally, it says these heathen, these Gentiles, these people that were at war with God, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image make like, made like a corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Listen, no matter how much we create, no matter how much we discover, no matter how much we do or invent, no matter what we accomplish as a human race, we still and never will and never can be as wise as God. The Bible tells us that he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the entire movie. He, knows, he has all the lines memorized of your life. He knows everything that's going to happen. Do we really think that we know more than him? Do we really think that we know better than him? Do we really think that we know what's best for us more than what God knows what's best? Make no mistake, he loves us. He loves us. Say that, he loves us. Say, he loves me. And it is his heart's desire to bless us, to keep us, to to give us Um, more grace each and every day to extend more mercy to us every day. The word I was looking for was favor. He wants to give us his favor here on earth. 
in our life, in this lifetime. He wants to bless us with that favor. That's what he wants to do. That is his heart. He gave us Jesus, his only son. Huge sacrifice. But we will never be as wise as him. Proverbs 9, chapters, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verses 10 and 11 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added unto you. Adversely, there's another proverb that, that says, There's a way unto man that seems right, but the end thereof leads to destruction or leads to death. Which one sounds better? I mean, really, we're talking about long life, multiplied days. Multiplied days, or we'll do it our way, and the end thereof is destruction. Eh, I think I'll take multiplied days. It just, it, it's out, it's got to, you know, it's got a ring to it. Hallelujah. Somebody say Amen. These Romans, these heathens, these Gentiles that Paul was discussing, he was warning the Roman church about what he had seen firsthand. He was warning them about something very important. He was warning them so that they could make sure that their minds were right. He was warning them to make sure that they were thankful to God and that that thankfulness reflected as honor to God in their lifestyle and in their walk. Amen? He was warning them. He was telling them something. He cared for them enough to say, hey, guys, you guys are doing great. The whole world is talking about you. That's something that he literally said. If you go back and you read the chapter, he says, the whole world is talking about you. You guys are doing such a great job. But he said, listen, there's danger. I just said a little while ago that Jesus made no um, no, no promises that life would be peaches and cream throughout our walk with him. So we need to be warned. We don't want to hear messages like this. We don't want to hear where, you know, there are crazy things that may come into our minds that the devil might be able to work in us and cause us to, be, to, to run away from God or do things that are contrary to him. We don't want to hear that stuff. We want to hear fluff. We want to hear happiness. We want to hear joy. We want to hear everything is good. Everything is going to be all right. But Paul had enough sense to know that this Roman church needs to be warned of the dangers. What were the dangers? What was the end result? Here's the end result. Starting at verse 24, Romans chapter 1. Therefore, everybody say therefore. therefore. It's a transitional word. And so as a result of all of this, this is what happened. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their own hearts. To, and so this was, sorry, by the way, this was amplified version. I know, it's crazy. Enjoy it. Doesn't happen very often. But I really feel like this really said it completely. It makes it very clear. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their own hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, abandoning them. Ooh. 
many, how many people thought they would hear the word abandonment with God? It's not a word you hear very often. Abandoning them to the degrading power of sin because by choice, they, by choice, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading and vile passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural, a function contrary to nature, and in the same way also the men turned away from the natural function of the woman and were consumed in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing shameful acts and in in return receiving in their bodies the inevitable and appropriate penalty for their wrongdoing. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God or consider him worth knowing as their creator, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are improper and and repulsive until they were filled, permeated, saturated with every kind of unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and mean-spiritedness. They are gossips, spreading rumors, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of new forms of evil, disobedient, and disrespectful to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, without pity, although they know God's righteous decree and His judgment, that those who do such things deserve death. Yet they not only do them, but they even enthusiastically approve and tolerate others who practice them. How did it start? They were unthankful. They did not honor God. They allowed their minds to wander with vile imaginations, futile thinking. It's important to keep that stuff in check. What's on the bottom sounds very dramatic, and it is. But if you simply keep thankfulness and honoring God and keeping your thought life in check, all very simple things, right? You can keep yourself from heading down this road. You get it? You understand me? Hallelujah. In closing, I want to end with reading 2 Peter 3.14. You can all stand. Second Peter three fourteen. Wow, what happened here? Lord of the Flies is messing with my tablet. Hallelujah. This is scripture that Peter writes, and he mentions Paul and some of the writings with Paul, and it's an encouragement to the church. And Peter is doing a much better job than I ever will. So I'm just going to read it. Consider this. 
Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him, him, almighty God, in peace, without spot, and blameless. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My God is awesome. My God is just absolutely, simply amazing that he would take a dirtbag like me and give me the opportunity to bless people each week, to be able to read the scripture and understand it, to be able to talk to people about the amazing grace of our God. Amen? He's just absolutely stunning and beautiful beyond measure. This God that we're talking about, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who is now the God of us, the Gentiles, that were included in salvation, he offers salvation freely to anybody. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, pink, purple, or blue. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your pocket. It doesn't matter what you look like, how you're dressed where you come from, none of that matters. This amazing God freely gives the blessing of salvation to anyone who will simply come forward and say, Lord, I've done it my way for X amount of years. I surrender. I want to now do it your way. I was born again in 95, 23, four years ago. And I was headed on a downward spiral to hell, literally. I wasn't even looking for God. And I wound up at a church where I felt the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And from that day forward, February 12, 1995, my life is completely turned around. I never thought I'd be a father. I never thought I'd live past 30 years old. I never thought that I'd have my own family or be involved with a church family. Never thought I'd be playing Christian praise music. I thought I'd be playing death metal for whatever years I had. Yeah, death metal. It sounds crazy, I know. But it's available to any one of us, to all of us, 